So I walked up to my Balu teacher to say, Emma, please have a question. What's the relationship between taking sweet food and period pains? And she said, honestly, I don't know, but it's something medical that you could find out. That's how I started studying about periods. Africa Design was the podcast partner for Open Design Africa Festival 2020 under the themes of Africa Rising and Small is Massive. To celebrate, we invited some of their most inspiring speakers to join us on the podcast. This is the second of a five-part series featuring those conversations. Benedicta is the founder of Girls for Development Goals and an African women's rights champion. We talked deeply about her passions of sexual health and hygiene and had a lot of fun doing it. Thank you for joining me on a Friday evening. It's really, really exciting to have you on. I've got notes here because your CV is so packed full of amazing things. I thought I'd just read some of these things off. You're the founder of the Girls Health and Education Foundation. You're currently a virtual intern at the West African Academy of Public Health. You've been a program manager at the FASTA Project. I look forward to talking about that. An African women's rights champion at the Young African Women in Leadership. A young female African leader at the One World Foundation. A One Champion at the One Campaign. And besides all that, you're also a pharmacist and, and a lot more. And that's just in the last few years. So I started researching and reading about you. And I saw a, an article that you'd written saying that you, you went off as an 11-year-old girl to boarding school and learning about your, your period from your mum and going into the big bad world. So I'd love to know more about your journey and how, how that girl has, has gone on to do the things that you're doing. Okay, I'll be glad to share. Thank you. Okay, as a little girl, I always knew I wanted more. So when we're in, in school, motivational speakers come around and then maybe pastors to encourage us to study our books. And they could say things like, I know that it's possible that the next female president of Nigeria is here. In my mind, I used to say, I am the one you're talking about. They could say, the first lady of a certain state could be here. And in my mind, I would say, that should be me. So I always had this mentality of, I wanted more, I wanted more. Eventually, when I turned 11 and I was to go to boarding school, it was tough because that was my first time being away from my parents. We didn't grow up going to visit uncles and spend weekends with them. We basically grew with our parents. People come to visit, and it still affects me now. I prefer to host a million people than to go visit someone else. But eventually, I got into boarding school. I used to cry a lot. And then my mom had to talk to me about my period and um, the things I need to prepare for. Because she knew since I was going to boarding school, they could start anytime. And if she's not there, I should be able to take care of myself. And then I got into school and I had to learn to stand up for myself, to fend for myself, because it's tough being in a boarding school, especially the boarding school in Nigeria. You have to be able to withstand the bullies, be able to study, be able to protect your period products so they don't get stolen, <laughs> you know, and all of that. Well, I could say that all of that experience built me up to the, the person that I am today. And then going to boarding school, coming out, I began to see a difference between the way I was wired 
compared to the girls I left behind in the community where we grew up. I was concerned, like, why do you have to fight over a guy at your age? Why should you be more concerned about being in a relationship than wanting to know what future lies ahead of you? So by the time I left the university, in fact, at the final year in my university, I attended a certain conference where one of the speakers spoke on the Young African Leaders Initiative, that's the Yali Network. So I got intrigued. I wanted to know what is this man talking about? He talked about the Mandela Washington Fellowship. Mm -hmm. So I just began studying, started taking courses online on the Yali Network. And then I thought, whoa, this is the opportunity I've been looking for. How do I give back to the community? You know, because I don't know whether other people felt the way I was feeling, but I was angry that girls my age were getting pregnant and dropping out of school. I mean, like, I felt we couldn't blame it on the community because I also grew up here. I was born here. So why should girls just be getting out of school, being pregnant? I go to the salon, I want to fix my hair, and a girl my age has a baby on the back, pregnant with another, another's on the floor. I know, like, it has to be a way out. So when the Yali Network thing came, I started taking courses. And then thankfully, my mom at that time was um, the principal of one of the biggest schools in the community. She was the vice principal. So I spoke with her, she spoke with her principal, and they let me go to some classes to talk to the students. That was how I started. And eventually I thought, well, I could gather some more people and then some more people. <laughs> there we are. So you're good at gathering people. Well, I think I am. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so a lot of your work focuses on education, menstrual health, sex education, hygiene, yes. and from that point onwards, from the Young African Leadership Initiative. How has your career progressed since then and to founding an organization? Um, actually, it started with um, those small meetings I used to have in my community. And then when I started, because I didn't even know what an NGO was, mm -hmm. when I, I began sharing the idea to people in the community and my church, I actually started in church. And then they began to say, well, that's an NGO. And I was like, okay, what's an NGO? So they just said, non-governmental organization. It didn't sing, but I, I didn't want to expose my ignorance. So I went home and started researching and studying, okay, what's an NGO? Started asking questions and that was it. The funny thing was after that first major event in 2016, December, 2016, which is about roughly four years ago, I applied randomly for one of the programs that I saw. In fact, there's this person I met online about four years ago, and up till now, we are yet to, to meet physically. He guided me through the process of planning that event mm -hmm. and then also sent me the link to apply for the One Championship program. So I applied, and then I got an email that I was successful. Out of the hundreds of people who applied, I was one of 50 selected in Nigeria. You needed to see the drama that played out in my house. My dad thought, I've always been the ambitious one. So I was saying, I want to go for this. I want to go for that. And he said, no, 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 wait. You have to be careful. How sure are you that th these people are real, that they are not scammers? So when this one came this time, and I, I shared with my dad, and then he says, no, are you sure this is not scam and all? And then until they sent me a flight ticket and linked me up with someone very close to my state to come to Abuja. It was, it was going to be my first time flying. I was going to be my first time in Abuja. So my dad thought, okay, this is a little more serious. So it means they may not be scammers. And he thought, well, tell them I'm your chaperone. I'm going to go with you. 
<laughs> Eventually, he let me go after calling a mini family meeting to advise me. So from the One Championship program, I was only with one campaign for about three, four months when I got selected to represent them at a summit in Europe, Brussels. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is a big one. It was my first time out of Nigeria. While working with them and volunteering as a champion, that's where I began to learn so much about the development space. That's how I began to build skills of advocacy and campaigning. And it also builds my confidence a lot. I felt for a young girl who just started something in her community, for an organization as this to be able to recognize the little effort that I put in to make my community better, then it means there must be so much more on my inside you know, that I need to let out. After the one campaign, I was selected for another year. So I served with them two years. So I began to do these things on my own. Mm-hmm. So I felt if I can do this and one campaign will pick me up, then other organizations should also know that there is something on my inside that they need to, they need to get to know about. So you're, you're clearly very good at applying for things. What's your secret? Well, I've been turned down a couple of times. I mean, the most painful one was early this year. My intention was to my master's program in the UK and Shivning scholarship turned me down. I was heartbroken. Uh, and then I applied, I applied for Commonwealth scholarship again. And then 20 of us were recommended to Queen Mary University of London. As at that time, my IELTS results were not ready. Well, yeah. That's how opportunities come. You know, it's not the right one, right? Yeah. Thank you for the encouragement, Adrian. <laughs> So how, as a pharmacist then, did you first encounter design and design for change? Sorry, I'm going to ask you a question before I answer that. Of course, please, please. Okay. I see that um, you work with Open Design Africa, right? Yes. And I see design means so much more to you guys than just design. So I'd like to know what spurred you up to start the Open Design Africa and what's your idea of design? First of all, so I'm the founder of Nairobi Design Week. Sune runs Open Design Africa in Cape Town. And so Nairobi Design Week and Africa Design, this podcast, we're their podcast partner for the festival. And Sune and Open Design Africa are really good partners of ours. So we're always trying to support and, and share the knowledge. So that's how I've been roped in and we're being involved in this. So you're, you're totally right. Design to us is much, much bigger than aesthetic or any one thing, really. Design is uncovering problems and then solving problems through creativity. As we go into this century and the age of AI, we're also trying to make designers aware that their jobs are next because really we knew this was coming, but it, it's coming very quickly. So as a designer... You have to be able to connect and link the dots and and use the resources that are there, really, because I studied industrial design and even going into university, I was very aware and wanted to do sustainable design. But at the same time, I wanted to design consumer electronics for a very long time. And it was really only after working in industry and during my university, you know, talking to people and really listening to how a conversation and an interview can lead to better ideas and better design outputs. That's where it clicked for me. 
So yeah, that, that's what we try to do with the projects that we're creating as well. Uh, it's all based on community. It's all based on collaboration and using the skills and the resources that we have to discover those problems and then to try and solve them together. Thank you for sharing. It's a lot clearer now. Could you ask your question again so I can... Sure, sure. About how design started mm-hmm. me. Yeah, how did you really discover design? You know, and it can be through something like most of the time we see fashion and furniture being popular ones. And I'm sure being from a country of fashion, that's probably something you've been aware of from an early age. But really, yeah, how have you discovered design from an early age and then gone into design for change as a pharmacist, especially? Okay, so um, earlier on, I shared with you my experience in secondary school with the period thing. And then when I moved into the university, all the questions that I had, the experience I had with period, it didn't leave me. It stayed with me so much that when I got into the university, my undergraduate research was on menstruation, painful menstruation to be precise. So I remember walking up to my biology teacher in about my final year in high school. And I was concerned because every time we have um, period pains, our matron keeps telling us, I've told you, stop taking sweet foods, stop taking sugary foods. So I walked up to my bottle teacher to say, Emma, please have a question. What's the relationship between taking sweet food and um, period pains? And she said, honestly, I don't know, but it's something medical that you could find out. That's how I started studying about periods. Coincidentally, I got home on holidays and bumped into an article on endometriosis. A certain celebrity was having that problem. It was a a condition and she had to have her fallopian tubes taken out. And that's how I began researching. Now, that stayed with me so much that in my final year in the university, I decided to have my project on this menorrhea, painful period. So I was going around interviewing young women, giving them questionnaires in tertiary institutions in Delta State. That's my state in Nigeria. I was just going around asking them questions. You feel period things. And there was so much to learn. Everyone had a story to tell. From I don't even have pains at all to you have no idea what I'm going through. I have to be on painkillers one week before the period, all through the period. And I was like, wow, this is something I should explore. So that's how I started. Eventually, when the organization started off with gathering people, talking to to them about teenage pregnancy and all of that, my team and I sat down and said, okay, I remember when I was in school, having access to period products used to be a problem. Like, you dare not leave your pack of pads on your bed and walk away. I bet you, before you come back, (laughs) as a den, we were not even registered, you know, with the government of the problem. And then... Because of, of course, all that is going on, it's difficult for someone to want to give you funding since you didn't have any track record of what you've done before and all of that. So we just began to gather funds. Thankfully, I got the scholarship while I was in school. So I still had some savings left. So from that, we went to the market. And then surprisingly, when we put it up on Facebook, one or two people who didn't even know me sent me a few thousands of Naira. So we just hit the market and bought some of the spirit products at um, wholesale prices and then began distributing. We did the first distribution. The, the second time, thankfully, a sanitary pad company in Lagos listened to us and was willing to give us about 300 or 250 of their samples. I literally lay on the floor screaming. That's how excited I was. 
I mean, I wrote to so many pad companies. I remember walking into ShopRite and I went to the sanitary pad um, angle. I went with my notes. I'll pick up a brand of sanitary pad that I do not know and was scribbling down the email addresses. It became so obvious that the attendants came and said, excuse me, madam, what are you doing here? Please, you need to go home. I said, no, I'm just doing market service. They said, no, buy it, go home and do your survey. <laughs> <laughs> That's how passionate I was. And eventually, wow. so when, when they reached out that they were giving samples, I was so excited. You know, but then after giving that, we sat and began to think, is this how we're going to cry and struggle and scratch in our pockets before we can support these girls? Can't we think of something more sustainable? Because if you're giving them only for this month, what is going to happen next month when we don't, when no one gives? So we began researching again, uh, researching until we found the reusable sanitary pad. So we thought, all right, this is it. But then we're thinking, are we going to make these ourselves locally or are we going to buy? That was the next challenge. How do we produce this? We made some samples, we distributed for people to give their feedback. We've been researching. Until recently, again, you know, that's the thing about design mm-hmm. that you talked about. We should be able to move with the tides. If you want to profile solutions, sustainable solutions, then you should be able to change, you know, innovate so that your solution will still be relevant. Mm-hmm. So eventually, we found out about menstrual cups recently. Yep. And then we are now thinking, which is actually what brought us together, the Futures Project. Mm-hmm. So just like any other application, again, I decided to try this one out. And then we moved from um, the first stage, the second stage, and then we made it to the top 75. And now we've submitted our plan for the top 15. In fact, I just got an email today that um, the jurors are asking a few questions about our brand to know, okay, how do you intend to do this? To know whether we'll, we'll be able to move into the next stage. So that's it. We found out about menstrual cups. And then, thankfully, there's this um, Kenyan friend of mine who was able to link us up with a company. And they donated over 200 of their cups to us. So the, these cups, would you like to kind of explain? Okay, I think we should probably. You compress and then insert. And then by the time it stays, it just sits. Mm-hmm. So this is where you pull out from, pour the blood out, wash with clean water, wipe. And then you can reuse again. Mm. And you, you so wash it with it. hot... Hot water, yes. And um, hot water, that's before the period to sterilize and then after the period. But in between, just clean water is all right. And mm. it's completely comfortable? Yes, it is. Nice. Well, thank you for the, thank you for the demo. You're welcome. And it comes with a pouch? Yeah, it comes with a pouch and then in a pack. Love it. You can actually swim with it as well. Mm. How long does it last? You can wear it for about 12 hours and it can last over a year, two years. What are the downsides? Well, um, you have to wash your hands before you use them so that you don't introduce um, um, any infection, yeast, bacteria. And then ensure that before you use them, that you um, sterilize with hot water. And then after you use them, say at the end of the period, before you mm-hmm. keep and reserve for the next period, just also sterilize in hot water couple of minutes, let it steam a little, then mm-hmm. pack it neatly. You've gone from innovation to innovation, right? Because you had the reusable reusable pads as well. What's happening with that currently? Right. I know that's that's mm-hmm. had a lot of great results, right? Well, yes. Um, while we were still trying to get our hands on them, COVID-19 happened. Mm. But then eventually we found, okay, that's another one, the organic hub. So 
why not try out these two side by side? We're also working on another online survey to know whether people will appreciate having a kit that contains the reusable pad and then the organic cup mm-hmm. or the menstrual cup. You know, because very typical of anything that is new, it will experience a little bit of resistance. People say, well, what is this? Mm-hmm. I've never tried this before. I don't like to insert things in my body. I've probably even never used a tampon before. So why are you asking me to use a menstrual cup? Mm-hmm. You know, what we did not realize, which is another thing that made me really passionate about um, this course, is that most of the sanitary pads and products that we use are made of 90% of plastic. It was a common sight in my boarding school to have pads just all over. So I didn't realize the implication. I just thought it was not nice seeing those things until I began to study and research and found that it takes hundreds of years for those plastics or for those used pads to decompose. They were not biodegraded. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't help but think of the thousands of those pads that used to lie around everywhere in our school compound. And then the funny thing is, mm-hmm. just plastic, when you burn them, there's no way you can burn it completely to the ground. It still leaves a mass of plastic. So I began to think, imagine a woman uses an average of 17,000 of those products in her lifetime. She'll be leaving us several pounds of plastic waste behind, even while she'll, she'll be dead. I just thought that was yeah. really crazy. So why, why not get something that um, is eco-friendly? Another mm-hmm. thing was a lot of people that I know actually react to this part. Some people come down with itching. Some say when they use the certain products, yeah, their periods are more painful. I thought maybe it was just one of those things. Until I realized it wasn't normal that some of these pads use um, chemicals. Yes, some of those chemicals they put to ensure that the blood gets locked in and not spill out. So even when the pad is new, you haven't used it, you, op- you tear it open, you find sticky materials there, mercury and all, all of that. We didn't realize that when you use all those things for quite a number of time. That's how cervical cancer begins to set in because of the presence of dialzine and all. So we thought, well, after all, in in those days, our grandmothers, great-grandmothers used to use rags. Mm -hmm. So why don't we make beautiful rags that people can use, beautifully sewn rags? And that's where the aesthetic part of design comes in. Mm. We have reusable pads in Ankara, African prints, you won't believe it. I've seen them, they're so cool. You've seen them. So you're actually a pad man too. I'm a, well, I'm a cup guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see. <laughs> I was going to ask actually, you know, whether there's there's kind of different markets for these things. And like, as you said, first of all, to introduce something that's familiar, not to make too many changes at once, but mm-hmm. whether it's perhaps the younger girls go for the pads and then as they grow up, they go for the cups. You know, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's actually been a sort of concern to solve my potential customers. And um, I wouldn't lie, if if I wasn't the one championing this, I would also have the same questions because I've never liked to insert anything into my body. I've never used tampons. You know, but mm. with these products, they come in sizes. So that way, mm. everyone is carried along. Great, great. You know, these things are necessary. So it's better to talk about them and release products that are suitable, right? Definitely. And I think we should have more conversations around this, especially in the parts of Nigeria or just anywhere where culture still has a a huge role to play in menstruation. Like um, in northern Nigeria, the nonprofit organizations that we're working with, it was one of the concerns that they had. They kept saying, 
what kind of questions do you have in the questionnaire? Because that would determine the people we deal with. Because it would be unheard of to ask a young girl who is not married or whether she's sexually active. She would definitely tell you a no. Mm. Culture issues. Mm. So you, you may mix up the sizes and whether they are willing to use it because it is um, culturally unacceptable to hear that a girl is sexually active when she's not married. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the challenges we're going to do with. And then we intend to have campaigns, you know, in such locations. That's the reason why um, we chose to work with non-governmental organizations and community-based organizations that are resident in those states because we want people who have already built a level of relationship with these people. So it's easier for the girls or the young women to trust them whom they know than I, who they've probably not met before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even the campaigns that we're going to design, I want it to be perfectly suited for their locations. So the way the campaign is going to be carried out in the North will not be the same way to be carried out in the West or in the South. You know, it just depends on the culture of the people and what is acceptable to them. Mm. Yeah. I know you've traveled quite a bit. I'd love to know more about your travels and what have they taught you? Okay. Um, I have like lots of experiences traveling. Um, the first was to Belgium, Brussels. Getting there, it was it was amazing. I mean, I was in a room where more than half of them were white and then I spoke and everyone understood me. And not just that, give me a resounding applause. I was like, okay, so this is a young girl coming from some village somewhere in Delta State. And then the whole world could actually listen to me. Mm-hmm. It built my confidence a lot. Like yeah. it made me try bigger things. And then from there, I began to apply on my own. And then I got selected for the WISE International Leadership Program. And this time it was in Brazil. I won't forget to tell you how much I suffer when I travel because Mm-hmm. The cultural difference with food. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a foodie. So by the time I go somewhere and then for two, three days, I don't have my eba. Eba is the swallow. Or I don't have rice, very spicy. I'm already missing home. I want to go back home. I almost cried. Some days I woke up almost depressed. Like, I want my food. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then I went to Rwanda for the African Youth Connect. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Like, I couldn't believe I was in Africa with all the good things I heard about them. It was just amazing. And then when I left Kigali, I began to read about all the wonderful things that your president is doing, Paul Kagame. Really, really impressed. And Mm. I think there are a lot of things they do that we should emulate in Nigeria. Mm. Um, After that, I was at Tanzania for the um, Uh International Model UN Conference. It was another learning experience for me. It's actually my dream to work with the UN. So I felt, why not build some diplomatic skills, you know, know about this, how this model model UN thing works. Um, I learned quite a lot. And coincidentally, mm. I was the only Nigerian in that conference last year. Wow, cool. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. So it's just been a learning experience. Mm-hmm. In November, mm-hmm. my husband and I actually made it to Benin Republic for their model UN conference as well. It was just an opportunity to visit a neighboring country, learn about their culture. For me, it's not just about the conference or the events we are attending. Traveling is education. These experiences I shared with you, I couldn't have read those in a book. You know, it's something that cannot be taken away from you. 
Yeah. And we learned so much also about the slave trade. In fact, we went to Gate of No Return, where mm. most slaves from majorly West Africa were taken to Europe many years ago. It was a very deep journey for us, like learning about the history of um, you know, Africa, slave trade, and the, the sacrifices that our forefathers and forefathers made, you know, to have us here. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was worth it. Traveling for me has been like a lot of experience. And like I said, it's something you don't learn in schools. You just have to go out there to, you know, know what's going on to learn. And it has actually grounded me a lot. Mm. We've talked about Pan-Africanism and the theme for this year's Open Design Africa Festival is Africa Rising. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about, you know, your journey and taking encouragement and walking into rooms in Europe and thinking, wow, how have I gone here? So under that theme, something you'll be talking about as well at Open Design Africa is how small is massive. And through all the stories that you've told me and looking, you know, as an inspiration as well to girls out there who want to create their own paths and careers, what sort of encouragement and inspiration have you got, especially under the theme of small is massive? Um, I would say everything you want to do should actually start from your mind. Like if you can dream it, it doesn't matter how long it takes, you can do it. The mind does not know the difference between what it's thought about and what actually happened. So if I think I'm coming to visit Adrian and um, have some samaki, when I say all of that, as long as I have visualized it in my mind, it's already happened. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, this is a lot of power we can utilize. And this is also what I'm saying to all the young girls out there who want to do amazing things. I also want to do more amazing things. In fact, if you ask me, I would say I, I only just started. And then I want you to be able to think about it. Let it stay there long enough. Let it give you sleepless nights. It's all right. But the more you think about it, the more you equip yourself to get there. So if you can think it, if you can dream it, you definitely can achieve it. Amazing, amazing. I love that mindset. It's all that mindset and the way that we think. And obviously there are really difficult times in life, but if we can just realize that the narrative that we're telling ourselves and the stories we're telling ourselves, if we can make those positive, then it makes so much easier in life, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I'd love to know if you've got any other stories or anecdotes that you really wanted to share or things you're working on in particular that the audience should know about. Okay. um, Apart from all that I shared about, we are very open to collaboration. I was really excited to hear about the Every Queen Bleeds. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to um, you connecting us with them. I would really, really, really love to see what they do and to learn and collaborate with them. DM them on Instagram. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I've got the numbers as well. Happy to connect you. I'll appreciate well. that. And then also, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned about the interest in my schooling. Like, I am still very, very much interested in, you know, doing my master's degree in the public health sector. Apart from the experience, you know, that I've had traveling and the hands-on experience that I have doing this project, I want to be able to add much more experience, you know, be certified, get the master's degree, learn more, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. learn about research, learn about how to put all of these experience and ideas that I have to better use. Okay. 
you'd love to work for the United Nations. Yeah, the UN, yeah. I've been looking forward to opportunity to work with them, even if it's to start as an intern or something. It's something that I've been longing to do for quite a long time. And um, apart from the fact that I know I needed the knowledge, the one, the certification, is one of the things that is inspiring me to want to do my master's degree. Because mm-hmm. I've seen that most of the recruitment process, the minimum requirement is a master's degree, most times. Mm. So that's why I'm looking forward to prove myself better. So if you do hear of any opportunity, any scholarship anywhere, if you need to recommend someone, You've got it. You've got it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll be in touch, I'm sure. And we'll talk as well. We'll connect more at Open Design Africa, right? Definitely. Absolutely. So where can people catch you and find your work online? Well, Facebook is Benedicta Uweru hyphen Apuama. Don't worry, I'll share all that with you. Then you can also email me, Benedicta Uweru at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram. At Benedicta Weru. So anyone who wants to catch up with me, once you have Adrian, you have me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you to Benedicta for joining us and to Open Design Africa for inviting us to collaborate on this five-part series. You can check out the previous episode with Blessing Akpan at africa.design. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It was produced by Brian. You can find him at Luno Da Vinci on Instagram. Please leave a review or share this episode with someone who will enjoy it. You can subscribe to Africa Design on all major podcast platforms. That's Africa with a K.